Have you ever heard the term natural consequences, logical consequences, punishments, rewards, positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement? And have you ever felt that there was something a little bit missing to this conversation, perhaps a deeper level? Well, hopefully today we're going to start to experiment with these terms and you'll get a lot more clarity on what consequences really are and how we can apply them mindfully and where we might be avoiding pitfalls to not go into a manipulative or coercive use of consequences, as so many of us, myself included, do. So today I'm going to give you a deeper look at three types of consequences you probably haven't heard of and that I use so that you can have greater clarity on how to get cooperation, collaboration, and teamwork with your children. Stick with me until the end because the last type is probably the most important and overlooked in the parenting conversation. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hi, if you are just meeting me for the first time, I'm Avital. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I am going to be talking all about mindful parenting. That's what I do. I am the mother of four. I am the founder of The Parenting Junkie, a global village of parents who are reclaiming presence, peace, and play for their family, and saying goodbye to the chaos, clutter, and the conflict. And what I do is I try to study as much as I can about peaceful, respectful, intentional living and parenting, and then apply those ideas on my own family, my lab of sorts, see what sticks and what doesn't, and then share it with you here today. Let's just pause for one minute so I can announce this week's winner. And if you would like to be a winner of one of my courses, then all you need to do is leave a review on iTunes. And if it's not in the US, you need to screenshot that review and let me know about it because we can't see our reviews from outside the US. I know that's crazy, but there we have it. The other way that you could enter into our giveaway that we are holding every week is by tagging me on Instagram and sharing out the podcast. Snap a selfie, snap a screenshot, share out the podcast, tell us what you love about it on Instagram, on Instagram stories, on Facebook. Just make sure that we see it. Every time we see you sharing it out or leaving a review, we will enter you into our long list but not so long that you can't win, um, long list of reviewers. And then we randomly, we use a random number selector to randomly pick a number and randomly pick one of the prizes for you. So that's just a really fun way of us saying thank you so much for doing so. Today, our winner comes from Poland. And how cool is it that our winners are just from all over the world? I mean, we've had Cyprus, Norway, Ireland, Sweden, and today it is from Poland. And what you are going to win, my dear Polish friend, is my course called Joy School. Now, Joy School is designed for people who want to think about their children's education in a deeper way and in a more creative way. Not necessarily homeschool, not necessarily sent to a school, not necessarily public school or, or alternative schools, but instead to really take stock of all our different options, including different legal issues in different countries, right? Some people can't homeschool even if they wanted to. But 
in this course, you will get to really go deep and have a conversation with yourself about what the plan is for your kids' education and get some inspiration and education on Montessori and Waldorf and Charlotte Mason and others. So you've won Joy School. Why? Because you left an awesome review. Now, let me just tell you about what you're winning, Joy School. Here's what Jennifer, a Joy School alum, had to say. She said, thanks to Avital and the Joy School course, I just had a wonderful tour at a great preschool. I felt completely prepared and confident with questions. Max took right to the little class, even though he didn't have to. He went to join the other kids right away. My huge, huge takeaway was that I realized that this is what I'm here on earth to do. I always question my reason or purpose in life. Now I know I meant to show and teach my baby the joys of following his passions and what being happy and fulfilled truly means. So thank you so much for that review, Jennifer. That is what's coming to you in Joy School. And now let me announce our winner. Our winner is Kin Bode Co. Am I saying that right? K-I-N-B-O-D-K-O-W, maybe Kinbod Cow. The truth is that I think your name is Kinga. Hey, Kinga, because you wrote so in your review. And here is your review. Raising kids can be peaceful. Hi, I'm Kinga from Poland. I have two girls, ages three and one. I love the parenting junkie because I see that Avital has gone through the path that I am starting on now. I mean the path of raising kids and looking for information on how to do this because being a stay-at-home mom can be peaceful and fun, although I'm sometimes counting the minutes till bedtime. Hey, Kinga, aren't we all? The parenting junkie impacted my life. I took my kids out of the preschool because I felt it wasn't right. I am perfect at ignoring my kid when she's busy and it resulted in her being a great independent player. I don't wait until kids are in bed to do my workout. I do it while they are next to me. I've minimized the stuff I have at home because I see that more stuff means more cleaning and my kids need space to play independently. But most importantly, I've understood that kids need slow pace and raising kids is not about new educational toys or amazing adventures. Children learn more from the way I treat other people or the way I react to their failures or misbehaviors. I love that, Kinga, and I love that you have won Joy School. I hope that you enjoy it. So the show notes for this episode can be found over at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash eight. Theparentingjunkie.com forward slash eight. And what we're talking all about is what do we do? What do we say? What language do we use? What scripts do we use? What type of communication can we depend on when we can't get cooperation from our child? Or let me phrase that more positively, in order to get cooperation from our child. Now, of course, we all want to be getting cooperation around things that make sense, okay? If you're asking your child to do something that isn't developmentally appropriate, age-appropriate, isn't going to work for your unique child and their needs, is out of touch and your expectations are wrong, then no amount of good communication and no amount of, you know, good tools are going to help you to get that cooperation. Or if they do, it will be at a terrible price because you're asking something unrealistic. And we all go there sometimes. That will happen from time to time. You'll suddenly catch yourself being like, "Mm, this was not a realistic request of a tired two-year-old. But for the most part, if you can check yourself and make sure that what you're asking for cooperation on makes sense, then you are going to still need 
the language and the tools and the right energy in order to get that cooperation, right? It's kind of an art. It's an art to garner a good collaborative relationships with the people around us, especially with our little children. And this is actually one of the questions I get asked so often is, but what do I do when my child is refusing to buckle in in the car, when my child is hitting their sibling, when my child won't help clear the table, when my child doesn't want to do homework, when my child won't get dressed in the morning or won't wear a jacket in the winter or won't brush their teeth or won't go to bed or won't eat their vegetables... All the different things that we want our children to do for better or worse. Some of the things I just listed here may not be appropriate requests, and some of them may be. And if you want more help on deciphering those things, I go deep in that on my Empathic Limits course. But what I want to go deeper into here is consequences and understanding them in a better way. Because we can feel really powerless as parents. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel incredibly powerless? Do you ever feel like your toddler or your teenager or your child has so much power when they say, no, I won't do that. Or, well, I'm going to do it anyway when we've asked them not to do something. Or when we're trying to establish a good habit or a good behavior and they simply, you know, they defy us. They push back. They won't do it. And then, you know, mainstream parenting has all sorts of advice for us on that. And we'll go into that in a moment and what that advice typically is. But sometimes we can feel really powerless. Like we as the adults have certain information that it's important that our child does or does not do something. And we can't seem to make that happen, even though that's really important to us. So the question that keeps coming to me is, but what do I do? How do I use consequences? Most of us have heard that we're not supposed to use punishments, maybe. But then we kind of replace the word punishment with the word consequences and we're good to go, right? But then many of us come up against some challenges there, which I'll go into in a moment. But before I do, if you ever have trouble with collaboration, with cooperation, if you ever feel like you want to have better communication skills, my hand is certainly raised. I do. I'm always working on this. I'm always trying to get better at it then I would love it if you snap a selfie or snap a screenshot right now and share out this episode so other parents can benefit from it too. Because if you and I have this problem that we can't always get cooperation, I am sure that others do as well. And I would love to be able to help them. So let's look at the typical advice, right? The typical advice is punishments, right? Punitive consequences. So basically, if you don't uh, stop hitting your brother, I'll take away the iPad, right? Or if you uh, do that one more time, I'm going to put you in a timeout. The if you do this, then I'll do that uh, equation, usually filling in with something painful or uncomfortable for the child, that's the punitive uh, model, right? And that's the mainstream parenting model is if you continue to scream, I'll put you in a timeout. If you uh, throw your food one more time, you'll go on the naughty step. It's going to be either I'll do something painful to you, either physically or emotionally, right? Like I will spank you. I will put you in timeout. I'll do something that you don't like, something painful to you. So you're doing something I don't like, therefore I'll do something that you don't like even more. And because I'm bigger and stronger, I can make sure that that happens. And then somehow you'll learn a magical lesson that you shouldn't do that thing. Just because I'll create a connection in your mind between what you did and something painful. So for example, if you're throwing food, 
I'll put you in a timeout. And then the theory goes that you will realize that when you throw food, something unpleasant happens to you and therefore you won't throw food. It could also be, it could be, I'll do something unpleasant to you or I'll take away something pleasant for you. Like if you throw food, I'll take your blankie away or you won't get dessert, right? So either way, that's a punitive consequence. You'll either get something painful or you won't get something pleasurable. Either way, it's a consequence you won't enjoy. And I will inflict that outcome on you in an attempt to create a connection in your mind between the unwanted behavior and the unwanted outcome that you're getting. Makes sense in theory. And it works with lab rats for better or worse. But it does not work with humans. Well, let me phrase that differently. According to Alfie Cohn's research, it does work temporarily. Punishments create temporary compliance because they create fear. So if a child is afraid that we'll hit them or put them in timeout or take away their blankie, then they might stop doing that behavior. You might actually manage to even stop a big full-blown tantrum if you threaten something, you know, painful enough, right? The trouble is that it doesn't create the type of change we're wanting to create. When we tell a child not to throw food, the reason we don't want them to throw food is because that makes a mess and it wastes food. Not because they'll get punished and they'll be in pain somehow because they do it. Because then we have actually missed out on the lesson that they need to learn. Rather than saying, don't throw food because that's not thoughtful of others. You're making a mess on the floor and you're wasting food for the planet and for other people and stuff. That would be a thoughtful reason not to throw food. That would be a good intention. But if we teach you not to throw food because of what's in it for you, because if you throw food, I'll hurt you, then I could be teaching you to get sneakier. In other words, to do the things that are not allowed, such as hitting, throwing food, lying, uh, being destructive or being violent. If you don't get caught, if you know no one's watching, then what incentivizes you not to do that? Our goal is to incentivize children to behave well because of intrinsic motivation, because behaving well reflects their desire to be thoughtful humans, to be better to others and to the planet and to our belongings, to respect. That takes a lot more effort and a lot more kind of a longevity approach, a a long-term approach to instill that kind of motivation into people. When we do it by punishing them, we actually teach them a very self-centered approach where they say, well, I'm going to hit my friend if I don't get caught or I'll lie about it so as to protect my own behind, right? I want to cover my behind. So I'm going to lie about it or I'll do it secretly um, and I'll, you know, really jam it to them when no one's looking. But I won't do it when someone's looking because that could cause me pain. So we're teaching them to get sneakier. We're teaching them to be better liars, but we're not actually teaching them the real reasons and the real motivations. Now, we don't want to have to teach them at each and every behavior, don't throw food, don't hit your friend, don't break the lamp, because we have to each and every time create a punishment to that. No, we want to instill the overall overarching theme of being respectful to people and property right? So that they can start to apply that to themselves. Not just I shouldn't break the lamp, but I shouldn't break any property. 
We can't do that if we're doling out punishment specific to each behavior. Instead, we need to make a conversation that's a little bit more long-lasting and a little bit more effort that actually teaches them the underlying values that drive them. Don't hit your friend, not because if you do, I'll hurt you, but don't hit your friend because we are the type of people, and I expect you to be the type of person who cares about other people's pain. So don't hit your friend because it hurts them. Okay, so we're understanding that we don't want to do um, punishments, right? We don't want to do punitive consequences. But what about natural consequences? I've stated in my videos, and I certainly use natural consequences, and we'll talk about those soon, but I just want to touch on it here and notice that natural consequences don't always work. They're not always enough. Natural consequences are fantastic if your child doesn't want to wear a coat. We can say, if you don't wear a coat, you go outside, you're cold. That's a natural consequence. The point of natural consequences is that the adult doesn't do something, doesn't inflict some kind of pain, but rather the child learns from the laws of the universe, from gravity and from the weather. And that's great in many cases, but there are some cases where we know that that's not going to be okay for us. In other words, a child might hit their friend and there are no immediate, obvious natural consequences apart from the friend being in pain, which is a good natural consequence, but the child may not seem to care. They might not seem to notice. And so follow through would be necessary there. Boundary setting would be necessary there. And we'll talk about that soon. But natural consequences are great when they work. They're not great when they don't work. For example, if you want to wear your sandals out in the puddles and the natural consequence would be that your feet are wet, but another natural consequence would be that your sandals are ruined and I don't want to buy you more sandals. I'm not spending that money. I'm not ruining your sandals just so that you learn that sandals don't go in puddles. So now we have an issue where I do need to set a boundary and a natural consequence wouldn't be enough. And finally, what we're told from behavioral psychology is positive or negative reinforcers, right? Positive or negative reinforcers, not to be confused with punishments, are basically, I will reinforce the behaviors I want to see. So when you do something that I like, you will get something that you like, right? This is the bribing mechanism in a sense when it's told to a child ahead of time, like if you clear the table, I will give you candy. Or you see a child being nice to their friend and you quickly come to praise them. You quickly come to hug them or you give them candy or you give them money, you give them kind words or you you know, shout out their praises to other people for everyone to hear that you like that behavior. That's a positive reinforcer. I'm giving you something that feels good to reinforce and kind of strengthen the behavior you did that I like. Or alternatively, I take away something that feels bad. Again, don't confuse this with punishments. A negative reinforcer, I'm still reinforcing the behavior with something that feels good to you. If I say, well, I see how nicely you treated your brother, so you're not grounded anymore. Or so the screen time ban has been lifted, right? That's taking away something that hurts you. Again, that's a, neg a negative reinforcer. So it's the word negative, but it feels positive to the child because we're taking away something negative. We're taking away the screen ban, for example. Now, those again are all manipulations of the adult onto the child and it's something that we do. It's a judgment that we 
run basically, right? I see your behavior and I decide what consequence is going to happen. Are you going to get candy? Are you going to just feel the cold because that happened? Or am I going to take away something that you love or hurt you in some way? None of these are enough for us to create collaboration or cooperation. And some of these are downright detrimental, such as using punishments, which creates a more self-centered child doesn't create a more thoughtful child and doesn't work in the long run because children simply learn to avoid being caught or to lie about what they've done. And using positive and negative reinforces is the same as the punishments. It's actually the opposite side of the same coin because if I give you praise or candy or gifts because of something good that you've done, you're again going to continue or discontinue that behavior based on self-centered motives. You're going to be kind to your friend next time because maybe you'll get candy out of it. Rather than realizing there's an intrinsic motivator there that being kind to your friend is important because it feels good to your friend and to you to be a kind person. It has been proven again and again in research that when we offer extrinsic motivators, such as what I'll do for you or do to you if you behave as I wish or don't behave as I wish, we actually infringe upon and really compromise intrinsic motivators. So if I offer you candy for helping a friend, I have now made it less likely, not more likely, that you will be interested in helping a friend next time. It's crucially important. And if you want more on this, I recommend reading Alfie Cohn's research and books. He's phenomenal. Now, I'm going to go into some thoughts and just craft, create some new terminology that I've come up with for myself, and I'll share it with you here. But I want you to know that none of this is prescriptive, just as everything I share is kind of my own rumblings, my own thoughts, based on what I've learned. It's not final. It's in process. It's a work in progress. These are my thoughts, and I would love for you to share yours on consequences and what does and does not work for me and my family and what does feel you know, mindful and aligned for me. So please take what works for you and what feels good to you. And I also want to say that I am far from perfect. Please don't project onto me any idea that I get this right all the time. I definitely find myself using bribes, using manipulations, using punishments when I'm not at my best self. When I'm not, you know, in my highest self, I can easily fall into those patterns. And if you come and spy on me in my home, please don't do that. But if you do, um, you will see that I sometimes yell, I sometimes scream, I sometimes take away a screen or do that kind of thing because I feel that helpless powerlessness that we spoke about and that so many of my clients and, and community members feel. That's normal. We'll all visit that place sometimes. The point is, what do we do when we're in our higher self? So just give yourself some grace and give me some grace that about you know 40% of the time, 20% of the time, whatever it is, we're not going to get this right. But the question is, what do we do with the rest of the time? That 80% that we are ready to do well, or maybe in your case it's less, that's fine. What do we do? So I have three thoughts on this. Okay. Let's go into the sequential steps of the three types of consequences that I think work and that are helpful. And most of them apply to every situation in a different way. The first one I'm calling relational consequences. 
What are the consequences to the relationship, to the space between you and me, if either one of us goes forward with a certain behavior? This is crucially important to understand that rather saying, I'm going to create and manipulate consequences to you, I'm going to do something to you, I am going to be aware of and help you to become aware of what happens in the space between us, what happens in our feelings and our energy between us if this continues, right? Now, the typical language for this type of thing is unhealthy. The typical language is stuff like, if you do that, you will make me sad. Don't do that or mommy will cry, right? Have you ever said this or have you ever heard this? Don't do that or you'll make me sad. I'll be so sad if you continue to hit your friend. Again, that is not what I'm talking about here because what that is, is it's an emotional manipulation. It's saying you are in charge of my feelings, which is too much power and simply incorrect. It is not true that what you do makes me feel anything. That's my responsibility. That's the stories in my head and my interpretation of what you're doing. It is not true that you are in charge of me being sad or happy. It is not true that you make me angry. Those things aren't true. What is true is that when there is certain behaviors on either side of a relationship, We can create different energy between us. Things can feel good to us and things can feel not good to us. And together, we want to craft an energy space at home that feels good, that is supportive, that is positive, that is collaborative and cooperative. And so together, we have a certain goal. I do believe all parents and children have an unspoken contract and an unspoken commitment, an unspoken desire and wish that between us will feel good. Now, you aren't responsible for my feelings, and I'm in many ways not responsible for your feelings. Those are our interpretations, and how we choose to interpret the situation is up to us. But we are both kind of caring for and nurturing a relationship, the space between us. If you go back to episode number three, it's the idea of we matter. What happens to us together as a unit, as a holistic unit, as a family, right, as an organism, affects each other. It matters, okay? If you treat me in a certain way, if you treat our house in a certain way, if you treat our belongings, if you talk to me in a certain way, that can create different energies within our relationship, and that's not what we're going for. If you lie to me, if you call me names, if you hurt someone, if you destroy our property then you aren't contributing to making our relationship one of connection and joy and peace and trust. If I see that I trust you with my phone, for example, if your child asks you for your phone and you say, yes, you can play with it, and then your child throws your phone in the toilet, right? Depending on their age, of course. But if they're old enough to understand, if your baby throws your phone in your toilet, this is not applicable. But if your four-year-old does that because they think it's funny, they can definitely understand that that is not what you want and that that is a deep disrespect to your belongings. And so, now this isn't true for every four-year-old, right, depending on their development, etc. But let's just say for for a typically developing four-year-old in most relationships, I think they probably could understand that. And so I can make it clear that that is an erosion of trust. That when you do something like that, that makes it 
impossible for me to trust you again with my phone next time until you have earned back that trust. Now, this is true in every relationship, and that's a good test of whether the consequences that you're using are true uh, for the relationship or are a manipulation of our adult power. We don't want to manipulate our adult power. We don't want to inflict pain on a child. But hey, if your partner mistreated something of yours, right, mistreated your trust some way, or if a colleague told a secret that you asked them not to share, um, right, any kind of uh, violation of your boundaries in your adult relationship would lead to an erosion of trust because that person wasn't treating the relationship, your needs or your belongings with care. And when people don't treat you or your needs or your belongings with care, then there are consequences to that. The consequences are that there's a chip, a crack in the relationship. And until that is healed and repaired, you aren't going to be depositing your valuable things, such as your trust or your belongings, with that person anymore, right? If I see that you're careless with my car and when I lend it to you, then next time, quite frankly, sorry to say this, but I'll say, hey, you know, I don't feel comfortable lending you my car, sorry. Now, it's not about me inflicting pain on you. I'm not going to say, well, you drove kind of recklessly with my car last time, so you need to stand in the corner, or right? Or I'm going to take away your favorite uh, shake in the morning, right? If my partner is reckless with something of mine and I say, you know, I don't like the way you're driving, so now I'm going to punish you. That's not how relationships work in, in, in adult life, right? But we might say, I don't feel comfortable with you using this because I'm, I'm nervous about what will happen to it. And that's a relational consequence. That's, hey, I don't feel that we have enough emotional currency or we have enough trust or I feel that there's too much distance or too much pain around this topic. So all of this might feel a little bit complicated, but I'm trying to simplify it. It's basically saying that if you do a certain thing, that will create bad energy between us. That will, you know, erode our trust. That will feel not good in the space between us. And the consequence to that is that our relationship will suffer, right? We won't be creating the type of space and the type of relationship that we're trying to create, that's important to everybody. And so let me take this down to a really simple and clear example. My son recently, my five-year-old son, has been really silly and acting crazy when it's time to help with any kind of, kind of clearing up. So every single evening, the expectation is that we all clear the table together. And every single evening on cue, he would kind of collapse in a puddle on the floor or suddenly run off and dress up in, in, in dressing up clothes as a ninja or start to tell silly jokes and just not help. And what I had to make clear to him was, if you don't clear the table when it's time to clear the table, when we're all pitching together, then we don't feel that you're being a contributing member of the family and you're not learning an important skill. It's really important for you to learn how to clear the table because that's something that we do in a community, that we do in a family. We take care of our space. We clean up after ourselves. And it's really important that you do it when other people are doing it at that same time, because otherwise you kind of create this sense that you aren't a contributor. 
you make other people do the work that you're also supposed to be doing. And that is taking people for granted. That is, you know, relying on them to put in the energy for you. And then there's an erosion of trust or there's a creation of distance. Like I can't rely on you to be a member of the family when it's time to pitch in and help. Now I'm bringing this example just because it's active in my life right now. But of course, there are many other ways of handling this. We could do playful parenting. I could reevaluate whether it's a realistic expectation. And we do a lot of different things. But right now I'm just talking about what are the consequences of that situation. Now, the consequence isn't I'm taking away screen time. I'm not going to punish you. But the true consequence is that I don't feel that you're there to help. I don't feel that you are showing up and being a member of this family. And I need you to know that relationships are a give and take. And so if you disappear every time it's time to give, every time it's time to be helpful. And again, we can do a lot of reframing around help and around giving and making sure that it's from the heart. Then, but still, even so, uh, there will be an erosion of trust. Like, I can't rely on you. Is that you know, are you aware of that consequence? And the point here is not to give a lecture, but just to make sure that our children are aware that there is that consequence. Now, it's not going to be an immediate fix. Like you say that to a child, they're not like, oh, quick, let me help. Every single time you ask, I'll jump to it. But at least I know I'm getting to the core reasons, the core essence of why I want you to help. And I'm trying to give you the information to motivate you intrinsically because the reason to help clear the table is because we as people work together collaboratively and cooperatively to create a life, a space, and a family dynamic that we enjoy. That is the reason to do it. We need a clean space, we need food on the table, we need clean dishes, and it's easier to do the work when we all do it together. That's the reason. And so if you're not doing that, you are eroding, you are kind of harming the relational feeling with you. If everybody's working and you're not, that's, you're not showing everybody that you're also a member of this family and that you know how to contribute. So that's number one, relational consequences. Okay. Number Two, you know what, before I move on to number two, let me just give you one more example. Another example from my life is that my kids have been waking each other or me up in the middle of the night or too early. You guys have heard me talk about this. It's an ongoing problem. I've tackled it from lots of different directions and we haven't got there yet, but it's an ongoing problem. Now, part of that is developmentally appropriate and part of that is behaviorally inappropriate. Part of it is, yes, you have nightmares and you need bed, nighttime parenting and all of that stuff. And part of it is, no, I really expect you to be able to do this. Now, I could be dishing out consequences like, I'll make a sticker chart and if you stay in bed X amount of days, then you'll get Lego. Or if you stay in bed X amount of time, days, then if you don't stay in bed X amount of days, then you won't get screen time, right? That would be the typical behavioral um, manipulation. I say manipulation neutrally, by the way, I'm not putting a judgment there, but, and and I'm not, I'm not saying that that's never the right thing to do. Sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes that's just what's going to work. We're just going to nip a problem that's serious in the bud. And the truth is that the cost benefit analysis of that is worth it because we get our sleep or whatever. Sometimes, sometimes we need to do that. My preference though is to go a little, for for the most part, okay? My preference though is to go a little bit longer view 
and a little bit deeper. Rather than just saying, I'm going to give you a prize if you do this behavior, I want you to understand the relational consequences. I want you to understand that my sleep is really important to me. And if we want to feel good about each other, I need to trust that you can be respectful of my body needs, of my restful needs, and of your siblings' needs. I believe in you and in our relationship, and I believe that you understand that that thoughtfulness is crucial to us feeling good about each other. And that when I wake up cranky and exhausted and overtired because you've woken me up in an unthoughtful way, then you learn to take some responsibility for that. It's my responsibility how it makes me feel, but it's your responsibility to care and to put in the effort to behave in a way that is respectful of other people's needs. Okay, let's go on to number two. Number two is outcome consequences. Outcome consequences are what we already know. They're natural consequences. They're logical consequences. And they're also self-imposed consequences that might not necessarily be so natural or logical, but it's what makes sense for us. So natural consequences are things like, if you forget your jacket, you'll be cold. If you are mean to your friend, they won't want to play with you. If you dangle that over the edge of the balcony, it might fall and you'll lose it. If you uh, don't clean up your toys, they might get lost or trampled or your siblings might play with them. Those are just natural consequences. And remember, the key to look for a natural consequences is that there's no, no action required. It doesn't take action. The parent does nothing and the consequences arise and the child just learns from experience. They just learn that, oh, if I keep forgetting to do something, then there's a consequence to that. An undesired outcome will continue to occur. And so I need to make that change. Just as a side note, sometimes it's not okay to let our children experience natural consequences. Like if they're going to be cold because they forgot their jacket, but it's minus degrees outside and they're going to be freezing and have a, you know, and suffer through the day, then yeah, the supportive thing to do is to help them remember, is to remind them. But for the most part, natural consequences is a fantastic way of learning and building resiliency. And then there's logical consequences, right? Like if you're not careful with my phone, if you throw my phone in the, in the toilet or if you throw it on the f- floor, then I'm not going to let you use it. Initially, we said relational consequences, which is that, you know, I won't feel trusting of you. But the logical consequence is that at the bottom line, I'm not going to let you use it again. Uh, or another logical consequence is that if you lose something, I won't buy it for you again, and you'll have to buy it with your own money. That makes sense, right? If you mistreat property or people or whatever, then you'll be removed from that situation. I think it's very logical if a child is hitting another child to pick them up and take them out of the room. You can't be playing with other kids if you're hurting them. That's logical. We've got to keep everybody safe. So it makes perfect sense for you to be elsewhere. It's not because I'm putting you in a timeout and I'm trying to make painful experiences for you. No, I could be still very kind and we can go and do something fun elsewhere. I'm not yelling at you or being angry with you or making it unpleasant for you, but I am saying that if you're hitting, you can't be with other people. That's just plain common sense, right? Natural and logical consequences are things like, if you don't get your shoes on now, we won't make it in time and we will miss the show, right? Um, But it also could be self-imposed. So that's things like, if you don't get your shoes on now, I will put them on you because I don't want to miss the show. 
If you aren't willing to miss the show, then you have got to put those shoes on. So it's a question of, do you want to put them on yourself or am I putting them on you because we need to leave now? Um, If you are playing with it like that, it will break and therefore I will take it away from you. Again, these aren't punitive. I'm not taking it away from you so that you suffer and then you'll have that link in your mind between doing that activity and an unwanted experience. I'm taking it away because that's what makes sense because what you're doing is destructive somehow, so I need to stop that, right? This is holding a boundary, if you like. So an outcome consequence, a logical or perhaps natural or self-imposed consequence for my child not wanting to clear the table, right, might be that if you don't help clearing the table, it will take longer and we won't have time for a book. If you're not willing to pitch in and do your part, I'll need to do it for you, that's logical and natural. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be mess on the table and it still needs to get cleared up. But I just need you to know that that will come at the expense of the time that I have to read you a book. Okay, I think that's logical. Do you? Do you agree with me that that's logical? If you aren't willing to clear the table now, we won't uh, get it done as quickly and then we won't have time for something that you want. I don't think that that's punitive. Now, remember the energy and the way that we say it is very important. It's not, if you don't clear the table, I won't read you a book right? It's not a tit for tat. It's not like you're annoying me, so I'm going to annoy you. It's saying, look, we have X amount of time. If we all pitch in together now, we'll get this done quickly and we'll have time for a book. And if not, we won't. I'll also feel unhappy that you aren't contributing to the family. That won't please me, right? But that's besides the point here. The point is simply that there is a consequence to that. We won't have time to do the thing that you wanted to do. Okay, I hope that that's clear, right? It's, it's again, it's, it's setting a boundary or letting a natural consequence occur, okay? Um, a boundary might be, if you hit the dog, I can't let you play with the dog. It's my role, my job to protect the dog. And if you're hitting them, the dog, I need to put the dog outside or away so that you can't reach it, okay? If you, do, if you keep behaving in a certain way, I can't let you try again because there's destructive outcomes to that. That's on us. That's on the parents to make sure that that happens. The confusion sometimes is between setting that boundary and doing it punitively. Okay, finally, the third one is mindful consequences. What I'm trying to communicate with mindful consequences is a self-awareness, a being aware of our own boundaries, okay? It's basically setting boundaries, parental boundaries, okay? It's being mindful of what I am willing and not willing to live with, what I am feeling, what I want to do. Being aware, taking note, and communicating that honestly and authentically. Mindful or maybe self-aware consequences, okay? It's basically sharing, a, a deep sharing with our children of our own inner workings. It's communicating with them what our needs are in order for us to be in our best selves and for us to live a meaningful life, okay? Not a meaningful life, but a satisfying life is what I mean, okay? So let, let me go into this. If I say to you, I need certain things for my life to run smoothly or for me to feel good. Now, this is about self-awareness, right? For example, I need not to be woken up several times during the night. I don't mean by a baby who needs to nurse. I mean by a kid who, you know, just wants to wake you up. I often say to my kids, if you have nightmares, you can come and sleep next to me, but you can't wake me up. 
right? Well, maybe if you have a nightmare or there, you can wake me up. I'll comfort you, whatever, you know, I don't know. If you wet the bed, you wake me up. But if you're just coming to wake me up, (laughs) that's not okay. So here, mindful consequences are about making it clear to the child what goes on within the adult, okay? Saying, listen, for me to stay healthy and happy and, and get my calm energy in the morning, I know myself well enough to know that if you wake me up in the middle of the night with, you know, requests or complaints or whatever, if you do that several times, it's going to be very hard for me. I'll try my best, but it's going to be very hard for me to be the good, loving mom that you would like me to be in the morning. I don't want you to do that to me because that doesn't feel good for me. So I'm not making you responsible for my reaction, but I'm making you aware of how that behavior affects me, of the stories I have in my mind around what you're doing, okay? So for example, if you don't clear the table, a a punitive thing was if you don't clear the table, I'll be mad at you, right? I'll put you in timeout or I won't give you a screen time, okay? And outcome consequences, if you don't clear the table, we won't have time for a book, right? But a mindful consequence is to show and expose a little bit, not with too many words, not with a long lecture, but being aware and communicating what's going on within me. So something like, hey, baby, I see that you don't want to clear the table, but I want you to know I'm feeling really tired and the work is easier when we do it together. And if you don't clear the table, I'll need to do it alone. And I really want your help. Please, can you help me? So the consequence here is basically just making it clear to the child that the outcome of them not doing what you've requested is truly that you'll have to do it by yourself, for example. Now, I think many, many children, when they understand this, when they say, oh, wait a minute, mom or dad or whoever this is, is a real person. And the way that I behave affects them, helps or hinders them. I think many children care, get it, and they can get on board with a program. I've seen this with my kids many, many times, right? It's being honest about, hey, you know, I don't want to spend my money on that again. Or I understand that, you know, you want to bring that toy here, but I want you to know that if you lose it, I'm not going to feel comfortable buying it again because I have my budget to balance and that's what, you know, that's what I uh, allocated for that and so I won't be doing it again. So do you see, it's a mindful consequence in the sense that I'm being mindful of how I'm communicating my own stories and my own preferences, my own desires, wants, and needs. So another example is my uh, two-year-old daughter likes to change clothes many, many times throughout the day. Now, I'm not always willing to keep doing that for her. And so sometimes there's a relational consequence when she makes a lot of demands on me to change her clothes, right? It's kind of like, well, I'm going to be taking all of these requests a little bit less seriously because the space between us is feeling out of balance. It's feeling like the demands on me are weighing heavy and I'm going to need to take a step back in order to maintain good energy between us. Okay. That's the relational consequence is that I'll need to take some space if you're putting a lot of demands on me. The outcome consequence is a little bit unclear here, right? If you keep making me demand making demands on me to get you more and more clothes, there's no outcome consequence here. You'll keep making those demands. But what could happen is, hey, if you take off your clothes again, I'm not going to be getting you more clothes at some point. 
right? At some point, I'm going to set a boundary and the outcome will be that you'll be walking around naked or that you'll be wearing clothes that you're not currently satisfied with. That's going to happen eventually, right? If you keep making that request again and again, then eventually the answer will be no. And then the consequence will be up to you Uh, to understand the logical consequence, the outcome consequence, natural consequence in different ways here is the logical consequences. I'm not getting you more clothes. The natural consequences that you will be wearing whatever you're wearing or not wearing whatever you're wearing, right? In that case. And then the mindful consequence to that, the way that I communicate what's going on within me is I've dressed you many times today and now I'm done. I don't want to go up the stairs again. And you don't need to feel sorry for yourself or victimize yourself. Mommy's so tired. Mommy's so sad. It's not fair what you're doing to me. That's kind of the, the, the nuance that I'm trying to, to dispel here. It's not about me saying to you, you've done this to me. Take responsibility for how hard you're working me or how exhausting you're making me. Instead, it's me saying, I'm going to be mindful of my own boundaries and I'm going to communicate them clearly. I don't want to change your clothes again. This is the last dress I'm giving you. I'm not going to change your clothes again. I don't want to go up the stairs again. I'm done with that now. So I'm going to sit here and I'm moving on to my next activity. And if you'd like to change your dress again, then you need to figure that out. That's up to you. I'm not doing that anymore. Do you see? So I communicate my own boundary in a mindful way, and that is what's going to happen. So when we're able to communicate with that clarity, not with long, drawn-out sentences, but a simple, direct, authentic, and real reason we want our child to do something, right? Real reason. Then we get follow through. We get to just stay with that boundary and follow through. And I think we get a lot more cooperation and collaboration because I believe that children, just like everyone else, they feel when we're treating them with respect, when we are speaking eye to eye, when we're being honest about why we we want something done or not done, and when we mean it. And not when we're manipulating them or trying to do something because if you do this, I'll do that. And if you don't do this, I won't do that, etc. So will you still need to follow through? Yes, absolutely. You'll still need to follow through. You'll need to embody that boundary. We talk about this in Empathic Limits. You'll need to stay there until it happens, right? You'll need to be consistent. You'll need to do that again and again and again. Remember, having good, healthy limits, empathic limits, is like going to the gym. You don't go once and get shredded. You go each and every day and you establish a habit, a routine, and a lifestyle. And that's what this kind of parenting is about. But you need to do it from the right foundation, not from the punitive consequences, which don't work. They're ineffective. They only cause temporary compliance, fear-based compliance, not only through natural consequences, because that's often just not enough, and not only through positive or negative reinforcers, because those diminish intrinsic motivation, but rather by focusing on the deeper, truer, and simpler reasons we want someone to do something. I want you to clear the table because as a family, we collaborate and do this to keep our home tidy. And I expect you to be part of that family. I want you to clear the table and I want you to know that if we don't get it done now together, I'll have to do it by myself. 
And if I have to do it by myself, it will also take longer and we will have less time for other things. Just so you know, that is something I need to make you aware of. But also, I really would like your help. I'm tired and this is something that would be better for us to do together. It feels better and it's more fun. Hey, let's put on some music and we'll clear this table together. Staying consistent with that approach, I believe, creates that intrinsic motivator, but also the right kind of motivation. The kind of motivation that says, I do this because I'm part of a family, I'm part of a collective, I'm a contributor, I'm a collaborator, I can be compliant with requests that are for genuine, authentic reasons of help and care for my surroundings and my body and myself and etc. And then we embody that limit with so much confidence that it just happens, hopefully. So I very much hope that this was helpful for you. I would absolutely love to hear what your thoughts are on relational consequences, right? The trust erosion, the distance, the pain that can occur between people, the space between us. I'm not blaming you and I'm not making you responsible for my feelings, but I'm saying, hey, we're responsible for our relationship together. The outcome consequences, the logical, natural, and self-imposed consequences such as If this takes longer, we will miss our train. And the mindful consequences, where I share with you deeply what will happen within me, what my reasoning is, what my feelings are, what my energy levels are, and what my desires are. My need for help or my request for help, my desire for quiet, or my desire to move more quickly, or my desire for an answer on something. I share those with you authentically. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this. And if this podcast is helpful for you, hey, can I just say thank you so much for letting me know, letting me know by rating, reviewing, sharing it out and tagging me when you do so. I absolutely love to hear those. And of course, that enters you into our giveaway, which is so much fun. Now, next week, we're going to be going into some lies, lies, they're telling you lies about parenting. I want to dispel them for you. So meet me here, same time, same place next week. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste. Namaste.